0: Hi, I'm Dan, and I'm um, one of the pastors, the senior pastor here at Calvary, and uh, we're delighted to, to get to worship uh, together today. I always look forward to Sundays. This Sunday in particular, I know several of you have moved here from other places to start new jobs. Several of you have started class at the University of Tennessee. Welcome to Knoxville. Welcome to Calvary. Uh, and some of you have been on vacation. Uh, I'm looking at the wealthy section over here. You've been at your beach house all, beach house all summer. Welcome back. We hope you're doing well. Um, please remember to tithe. Now, um, <laughs> I um, didn't, as the cliche says, you know, grow up in church. Uh, so when I began attending church, I was college age, and most of my friends were believers. My my peer group, you know, my 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 pals and everything, slowly shifted from let's just say one crowd to another, and that wasn't really purposeful. It just sort of happened. You know, we began to have a lot of the same interests and and that kind of thing. And we, I remember going to this, this little church in North Memphis and doing communion and just thinking it was the coolest thing I had ever seen. Part of that was because it reminded me so much of something they would do in Middle Earth. I thought, oh yeah, Aragorn would do this. He would so, Frodo, he would so be about communion. You know, it's just that whole thing of ritual and that's the majesty of it and there's something mysterious and and secret about it. But it it was just beautiful to me. One of the things I noticed, I would look around at my friends, particularly some of those who had been Christians for a while and they were either seeking for the significance of it you know, I want this to feel important. I know there's something magic about it, and, and, I, and I want to lean into that. I want to feel that. And then I had other friends who, for whatever reason, maybe had done it so much and it had become such a part of the rhythm of their life that they were a little bored with it. You know, it's kind of, oh, yeah, it's Communion Sunday. We're going to do that. And, it, and I could tell it had lost something. Some of the importance had, had faded for them over time. uh and so I struggled with what it meant because I believe I was over-romanticizing it. To me, it was, it was just something just kind of cool. Um, and for them, it, it was something they were so used to that it had lost. And I thought, Lord, would you begin teaching me what the significance of this is? Communion. We call it the Lord's Supper in, in that tradition Uh, the Eucharist. I don't know what your background is, what denomination you grew up in or didn't grow up in, but this can be a powerful experience. It's this meal that touches our souls. And this morning, we're going to walk through a story that gives rise to the observance of the Lord's Supper. Uh, Where did this start? And this passage is going to help us to see uh, what it is that makes communion such a uniquely significant meal. We thought about this day, and we knew that a lot of people would be coming back um, to school and to Calvary, and we thought, how do we want to begin the year? And, you know, and God put this on my heart. And I thought, you know, instead of beginning a brand new series and, and, and doing that, which there's nothing wrong with, we thought, you know, what would be maybe appropriate and really beautiful is if we all began this semester, this season together in communion. Uh, And the more we thought about that, the more we felt felt pulled to it. So that's why we're we're beginning today uh, with communion together with the Lord's Supper. We have been invited, you and I are invited to a meal that's made from God's Ancient recipes, this redemption and release, and, and all of these things that, that come together in, in this moment. Jesus built communion on something that he was very familiar with, and his culture, his community was very familiar with. And that was Passover. Let me, let me read that with you um, in, in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 26. When I preach, I don't always read Matthew 26, but when I do, I use the ESV. Now, Matthew chapter 26, in any version you have will work, and we'll put it up here for you. Now, on the first day of the unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus directed them, uh, and they prepared uh, the Passover. For 1,500 years, the uh, Passover had been teaching God's people uh, these flavors, you know, man's deep need, God's great salvation. Uh, it, what was going on? This sacred observance. It looked back to God's deliverance of the Israelis from slavery of Egypt, this plague of death that was on all the firstborn in the land. And it's this strange meal, this recipes and, and all these flavors. For instance, you had salt water. It reminded people of the tears of slavery, how many nights they had cried. You had bitter herbs like horseradish, which uh, people would remember the sour flavor of bondage. They made this fruit paste with cinnamon sticks, and that reminded people of those bricks of clay and straw that they made day after day, year after year after year. There was a meal of lamb, which... Remembered how the lamb was killed, and his blood was put on the households above the doorpost and on the sides, so that the death angel would see that and it would be a signal to him to pass pass that house by. They used flatbread, which was made without any yeast, to remind God's people that they are holy. No yeast spoke to them about it. there's no sin to puff up our, our hearts. And this bread and and all of these elements were pretty portable. They could travel on a moment's notice, and and it wouldn't spoil. And then with that, there were four cups of wine that were served throughout the meal. And this custom was drawn from four promises made by God all the way back in Exodus chapter 6, verse 6 and 7. The Bible says this, I will bring you out. I will free you from being slaves. I will redeem you. And I'm going to take you as my own people. I'm going to be your God. And you'll be my people. There's those four promises. I think the Passover was so precious to Jesus because it gave his disciples this taste of the ways of God that they could look in uh, as people. It reminded them of uh, this sin and the life of bondage that Egypt had had, it's almost a cliche. You can think of so many movies where someone goes up to a restaurant window and you know and they look in and their face and hands are pressed against the glass and the people inside are feasting and they're eating and you can smell the bread and, and they're, they're just wishing they could have that. I think that's kind of what Passover is. I think for years, God had just built into their their life, into the rhythm of their life, this picture and this idea of this great salvation, and it whetted their appetite for it. It made them long for it. By the time I came to Christ, I remember riding in in the car with a friend of mine, and we were actually going to a club. We'd gotten off work, and you take a shower, and you you do that, and you hit the clubs, and you do all this. And and I, I remember asking this guy, is this it? And he goes, is what it? I said, is this all there is? Is this our life? There's got to be more. I knew there was more. And and I think think everyone who would celebrate Passover would get the significance of it. But I just wonder if there were moments where they would kind of look at each other and go, is that it? I've got this thing in my heart that's telling me there's more to it. There's something else. There's something else. There is a redeeming God. There's this liberating God who would set them free. Israel learned their theology at the table. And this has been lost in our society. Jesus wanted to teach his disciples, his friends, that the Passover is just this appetizer. There's this feast of salvation that's coming. Most of us eat three meals a day. Some of us Uh, I think if three meals are good, six has got to be better. So that's what I'm going with. Uh, Some of you eat two or one. I don't know what your custom is. But our tradition in our family is that we thank God at every meal. We stop, whether we're in a restaurant or at home where we're friends. Uh, It was a little awkward with some of my family because when we were Christian and we'd eat with them and they would all go ahead and start eating. And after several bites, they would notice that Kathy and I and our children were sitting there. Legalistically not touching that unblessed food. <laughs> yeah. And we would sit and my children are looking at me and they're getting anxious. And finally somebody in my family would realize, oh, and I can remember one time we were in a pizza place and everybody's mouth's full and my mother's like, Man, you say a blessing for us. <laughs> and what? Will you say a blessing for us? <laughs> yes, yeah, sir, sure, because we, we get that. But we do that. It's just part of part of our lifestyle i got to tell you, sometimes I eat in the car. Sometimes I eat in my office. Uh, I, I will go into a deli, and I'm, I'm, just, I'm there for a few minutes, and I eat. I'm, we've kind of lost how sacred it is just to eat a meal, and for that by itself to be a reminder of the grace of God. I think every meal has the opportunity to be like this, this subtle, quiet communion service. Where we stop for just a moment and go, Lord, thank you for this food. Thank you for this great salvation. Thank you for the picture that we see in every meal, in every meal. I think we've lost the beauty of that. We've we've lost the depth of that. Communion brings it back. And even in this day, communion is so much more precious if we realize, if you get, that we're tasting these ancient recipes Redemption and freedom. That Jesus would bring his disciples to this Passover meal, and it's on the eve of his death, and he transforms it. The thirst they have for salvation uh, must have been at its height. It's like 3 o'clock on ap- Operation Contact. You know, And you think, it's time to hit the Coke wagon. You know, it's time. I need, I need something here. I think they were like that spiritually they were ready. They were ready. And we're invited. We're invited to this meal. And it's this unusual meal that exposes our hearts. The story of the Passover feast is in Matthew 26. It says, when, when evening came, and Jesus was reclining at the table at the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, Hey, hey, he, he got their attention. You ever been to a wedding reception or a rehearsal dinner and somebody goes, tink, 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 on a glass and you look up, you know? Somehow Jesus got their attention. He said, I got I to tell you the truth. I'll tell you the truth. One of you is going to betray me. That's a nice dinner conversation. You know, everybody's talking and they're laughing. John, pass the bread. Okay, yeah, yeah. Oh, hey, this is, you know, and they're, Judas, what, what you know? Where were you yesterday? And they're they're having this conversation. These guys have been friends. They've traveled together. They're the band, you know. They're they're in this thing together, and they're excited. They have no idea what's about to happen. They're just caught up in the momentum of Jesus and the ministry and how this thing just seems to be exploding, and it's going forward. And they're at this meal together, and it's a significant meal, and it's Passover. And Jesus says, oh, by the way, one of you is going to betray me. The Bible says they were sad, and they began to, to say to one another and to begin to say to him, it's not me, is it? Jesus, I'm not the one, right? It's not me. Hey, Jesus. And they, they wanted that, that assurance, and Jesus replied and said, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. And I wonder if they all looked around and thought, well, we all did that. He said, the Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It is better for him if he had just not even been born. And then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely it's not I. And I said, Lord, it's not me. Right, guys? Can you imagine how awkward that must have been as their eyes connected? As just for a moment, Jesus and Judas looked at each other and Jesus said, <laughs> Judas is like, it's not me, is it, Rabbi, teacher? And Jesus looks at him like, we both know better. Jesus said, yeah, it's you. It continues in verse 11. Jesus said, this very night, all of you are going to fall away because of me. You're going to bail on me. You're going to, it was a very popular saying at that time, you're going to throw me under the chariot. I smell that. It is written, I'll strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. What a strange dinner. This dinner that by the end of the evening it drives one guest away, it leaves everybody awkward and uncomfortable, and the host with tears in his eyes has a broken heart. Not what they started at the beginning of the evening. At this meal... Pretenders can't hide from God's judgment. Jesus saw into Judas' heart, and he could see what nobody else could see. And he saw in that heart, you know, as he's sitting there, and he's, and he's just, maybe for a moment he's watching them, and they're, they're talking, oh, Peter, yeah, 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 and he, and he just looks over at Judas, and maybe Judas is in conversation with, with one of the other guys. He thinks, betrayer. Liar, he can act like everything's good, everything's good. This is a dangerous meal. Paul mentions in First Corinthians 11 this, he gives this solemn warning don't trifle with this, it's not to be eaten lightly. It, it, you need to be careful about this. Let me read that scripture for you um, in First Corinthians chapter 11. Don't have that up there. I can get that. I can find that for you. And I may not have told the dead guy, so that's my bad. First Corinthians chapter eleven, verse twenty-seven says, "Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner." will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of Jesus. Let a person examine himself, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why so many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. He says, if we just judge ourselves, we wouldn't need anybody else to judge us. If we just kind of take a look at ourselves, we wouldn't need anybody else to do that. That's what was going on. That doesn't mean that a sinner can't eat this meal. I knew a lady in another church, and she said, I've never taken communion because I'm never worthy. And I thought, well, you're never going to be worthy because it's not about you. It's not about how good you can be. You're never going to be good enough. It's all about Jesus. We're all sinners, and we we understand that when we come to the table. But what it does do is it exposes the pretenders, the fakers and the, the frauds and the posers, you eat this food, you're eating poison. At this meal, every disciple invites the Lord's examination. And then there's this stunning news uh, that a betrayer is among them. And that bothered these guys. It, 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 it was uncomfortable to them to think that. And it's always interesting to me that it prompts everybody at the table to go, it's not me, is it? You're not talking about me, right? Because I didn't, you know, they just, they just start speaking up. Uh, and they all want Jesus to say, no, it's not you. You're good. You're good. Of course it's not you. I'm not talking about you. But apparently he never replied. He, he never answered the, the question. And the fact is, is that while there was only one who would actually betray Jesus, they're all going to forsake him. They're all going to step away. And he eventually told them as much. In verse 31, he said, this very night, everybody's going to fall away. And they, and so crazy that they move from being shocked and going, It's not me. You're not talking about me. I mean, seriously. And they're maybe even a little offended, you know, not me. And they move the conversation from that to talking about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. I mean, in just a few minutes. And that's just so how erratic our hearts are. It just provokes, this meal just exposes bad behavior. It reveals the worst about us sometimes. And Jesus' own suffering. The thing I thought about this week and, and last night, uh, this just really, I think, spoke to me as much as anything else about this, this day, this message, is how terribly hard the meal was on Jesus personally. There are a couple of things in, this verses we, you know, in these verses we might miss. In verse 23, he said, The one who's dipped his hand into the bowl with me is the one who will betray me. And the point is, they all did it. Everybody had reached over into that bowl of fruit paste, you know, and when, when that came around and that part of the meal, and, and Jesus is saying, "All my best friends, my betrayer is one of my be- very best friends." And the other thing that is lost on us is that Jesus is hosting this meal; it's his it's his event, you know, it's it's his thing, and and, and it's, it's essential. in that culture, was that no one would ever speak badly about the host? It's just one of those those subtle customs that you get. Everyone would be so polite, let alone, you know, you never, but to betray him, to come in as a traitor. I think the thing about that is that for Jesus to drink the full cup of human suffering, the betrayal from a dear and trusted friend would be part of the deal. For Jesus to be able to look at you and say, I know how this hurts, because that happened to me. I've been betrayed. Some of you know that pain. And for me to even mention it, it just opens this wound. Someone you trusted, a mother, a father, a husband, a wife, a best friend, maybe hurt you. And this gives Jesus the right to look at you and to extend his arms and to say, I know, I know. I know it hurts. I've been there. David kind of almost predicted this. In, in fact, he did in Psalm 41, nine, He said, even my close friend whom I trusted, he who shared my bread has lifted up his heel against me. What I don't want us to lose sight of, don't forget, Jesus loved Judas so when he's sitting at that table, and they're reclining at that table, it's just heartache for him to be forsaken by everybody that you know, he loves the most and who supposedly loves him the most. But to be betrayed by this friend who's sitting right there having this meal with you, he was invited. And to think that that friend, through that, because of that betrayal, he is going to be condemned to a violent and eternal judgment. I mean, that had to hurt Jesus beyond imagination to think, oh, he's hurting me, but oh, what's about to happen to him? It hurts me to think about what's about to happen. And like a lot of you, I've read this story several times. uh, But a few weeks ago, what struck me most forcefully about this is the kind of people that he invites to this meal. The dinner guests of God are the ones who would betray him and the ones who would abandon him. I mean, who do you think of? You know, you're getting together with some friends, and you think, hey, we're going we're gonna to go get some you know, something to eat, and we want you to come. And you, when you start making that call or sending that text, you, you don't think, well, let me think. Oh, yeah, that's the guy who stabbed me in the back. Yeah, I want him there. Oh, yeah, I remember her. She's the one that took credit for my project. Oh, yeah, let's invite her. Oh, remember that guy who lied about me? Yeah, and just really sabotaged it. Oh, let's call him. Yeah, it wouldn't be fun without him. I mean, just think about that. Just pulling all these people in this together. How weird would that be? And that's what Jesus does. He invites these people. He said, I want all you guys to come to dinner, even though I know you're all going to betray me. And you're all going to just sell me out. But he does it. And he does that for us. Jesus, you know how many times I would break your heart. How many times I would betray you. How many times I wouldn't be the man you've designed me to be. You want me to be. And yet, this comes around and you say, Dan, I I want you at the table. I want you there. You're invited. That's overwhelming to me. That's just so humbling to me. Jesus didn't have to eat that last meal with guests who would forsake him. He could say, you know what, guys? I kind of know what's going to happen. Never mind. Find somewhere else to do Passover. I don't need friends like you. He could have done that because this meal exposes our hearts when we come to this table. But it's so precious that it also exposes the heart of Christ who found fellowship with us, people like us. We're invited to this meal, and, and it feeds our deepest hunger. Verse 26 says, you know, while they were eating, Jesus took the bread, he broke it, he gave thanks, and he began to pass it around. And, but as he did, so far everything's like it usually is. But he said, take and eat this. It's my body, and it's broken for you. And then he took that that cup of wine, and he he gave thanks, and he said, drink from it. It's my blood that's going to be spilled for you. This is the covenant. And he said, "I'm, I'm not going to drink of this. I'm not going to eat again until I do it in the kingdom. And they almost have thought, what is he talking about? Where is this going? This meal." feeds our deepest hunger because it's food that will sustain us all through life. Jesus' broken body is food for our journey. And I've wondered why the Lord didn't make the meat of the lamb. How come that wasn't part of this celebration of communion? You know, it's just the fruit of the vine and the bread. And I think there's a couple of reasons that stand out to me. Bread without yeast is this biblical symbol of holiness, holiness. And because of our hunger for God, Jesus' blood is poured out. Uh, and forget, It just seals this covenant with God. In verse 27, he said, Then he took the cup, he gave thanks, he offered it to them, drink from it, all of you. It's the blood of the covenant. They understood that. They understood all the way back in Leviticus, the life is in the blood. And then Jesus uh, took his disciples you know, on this, this trip and their memories back to Exodus 24 when Moses secured Israel's commitment to God's old covenant. And here's what the Bible says. Let me just read this for you real quickly. Moses took half of the blood and he put it in the bowls, and the other half he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and he read it to the people. And they responded, We will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. Moses then took the blood. He sprinkled it on the people. And he said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. And these guys had grown up with that. They could recite it. They could say it. And Jesus stops the meal and he goes, this is my blood. And it's shed for you. That's the new covenant. They made the connection. You see, for us, we're a little distance from but They got it. He says, the blood will be shed again, and a new covenant established between us. This cup that he used when he did that was the third cup of these four Passover cups, and it's the cup of redemption. Isn't that beautiful? It celebrates God's promise, I will redeem you. With an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment, I will redeem you. Who would have ever guessed, not one guy in the room would have ever guessed that God's mighty act of judgment would be pronounced against his own son, or that this would redeem people from every tribe and language and nation. Something new was beginning that evening. And because we hunger for hope, because this meal carries this promise of eternity with Christ. He said, I won't do this again until I'm in the kingdom, and I'll see you there. That was his promise. I'm going to take you. You're going to be my own. I'm going to be your God. And down through the centuries from that day till then, that this Passover, this uh, this, uh, Haggadah, this liturgy, these repeated words, it went like this. This year we eat in the land of bondage. Next year we eat in the land of promise. Every child could say that. And in this one communion cup, it contained the promise of redemption and the, the promise of reunion. It just feeds our souls in a different way. I like what Steve Brown said. The world drinks to forget. The Christian drinks to remember. So we've come to this simple meal again because it is a meal that feeds us in a different way uh, than anything else. And I've grown increasingly certain that what, what, what happens in this mystery of communion is more than just a memorial. It's a meal rich with these ancient recipes of this God-given grace, this freedom. It's a meal that just lays bare the secrets of our hearts. It's a meal that in some mysterious way, beyond my understanding, brings health to my soul. We thought it would be appropriate to begin the semester and the season with communion together as a church family and just as a family of Christ. If you're a guest, we invite you, if you are a follower of Jesus, to participate with us. There is closed communion and there is open communion. We practice open communion, which means you're part of this family if you're a Christian. And we've done it several different ways here at Calvary. And the way we've chosen to do it today is that some of our men are going to come in just a moment and they're going to take these elements and they're going to distribute them. And once you have that, you're on your own until the end when we'll sing a song together. There won't be a cue. There won't be, okay, from the time you get it until the time we close, we're going to uh, rehearse, review some of the scriptures that we've looked at today. We're going to put them up just for you to meditate on, to think about, and to pray. And then when you're ready, when you feel like it's the moment for you, then you take communion. You have those elements. And then just sit quietly and pray, listen, read the scripture. And once we've all taken communion, we're going to sing together. Uh, one last song. It's a beautiful observance. It's deep and it's strong, uh, and we pray that this would be a time of fellowship between us and the Lord and between us and one another. Let me pray, and I'll ask our men to come. Father, I want to thank you as a follower of Jesus for the profound thing that you've done today. And what you've done in each of our hearts and each of our lives. For some, we were children; some teenagers; some adults. Some have not gotten to that place yet. I pray that we all would. Father, we celebrate you today. It's a memorial for us, for the life, the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And Father, it's it's an an exclamation of our hope that one day we will eat this meal with you face to face. So we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.